0: Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Portable Pastor Podcast. I'm Mike Stafford, the Portable Pastor, and I'm bringing you another teaching from God's Word today. Do want to apologize from my voice? Got a little bit of a head cold today, and I may have to turn my head and cough from time to time. But just uh, know I need to get this teaching out. So. You also might hear some things in the ceiling above me. We're doing some construction here around the work, so just be patient. But take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We'll start with verse 21 here in just one second. We learned last week the definition of a prophet. A prophet is a person who speaks God's truth to others, a person who can warn others about future events. We also learned last week that there are still prophets today. It is still a gift of the Holy Spirit that that he gives to the church. Jesus said false prophets will come in the end times. Now, I gave you four scriptural examinations for determining if a prophet is a true prophet or a false one. Remember, I said there must be a divine connection. True prophets will always confess that Jesus is divine. But a false prophet is always going to detract from the divinity of Christ. I said there needs to be scriptural affirmation. True prophets affirm the scriptures, all of the scriptures, where false prophets might oppose some of them. There has to be a gospel corroboration. True prophets will hold to the biblical definition of the gospel. That's the one found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-5, whereas false prophets will distort the gospel. And I told you, there must be fruit inspection. True prophets will produce spiritual fruit and false prophets will embrace and exhibit sin. Then we heard from Jesus how to guard ourselves against false prophets. He said we must expect their arrival. They're going to come. They're already here. He said we must detect their intentions. They are ravenous wolves looking to kill and consume all of the resources that we have. He said to inspect their fruit. They're consistently supposed to produce good works, and they're to fight their own immorality. And he said we're also to dis- disconnect from their work when we find uh, a problem. They w- they're going to burn up in the end, and you don't want to show up in heaven smelling like smoke. Well, today, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture to finish up this Sermon on the Mount, this teaching by Jesus the first has been referred to in 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 lots of pulpits over the last few months, especially the one in our church. And so let's read it together now. Follow along as I read Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And unless you're, of course, driving, then pay attention and just listen. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, I feel like we've covered this extensively over the last few weeks, but let's just be reminded of the meaning. First, this this passage tells us that a lot of people are duped into thinking they are citizens of the kingdom when they're not. There, there's a lot of confused people out there. They, they might be good people, but they're not good enough because there's no one good enough. They're committed people, but not wholly committed to reflecting God's glory. They're focused people, but they're not they're not focused on the right thing. So they're duped. They're duped people. They've been duped by false teaching or a faulty understanding into thinking that they're good with God when they're not. Jesus said the one who does God's will is a true citizen. I don't think that Jesus is teaching a a works-based salvation. He is not. He's not teaching a works-based salvation. He's teaching about the will of God. Well, what is the will of God? Well, in in the most basic sense, the will of God is for us to repent of our sins and trust in Christ for salvation. That's what he wants. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It is God's will that all men be saved. You're not not a recognized citizen of heaven unless you repent of your sin. Unless you trust in Christ to save you from that sin, you're not going to be recognized as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. The proof of that decision to turn from your sin and be saved is a life following the, the commands of Christ and yielding to his lordship out of gratitude. Now, that is not the cause of salvation, but it can be the proof of it. Jesus said there'll be a lot of people who put their trust in the proof, just in the, the man-made pseudo-proof, man's goods, deeds, without trusting in the cause of salvation, a submissive relationship to Jesus Christ. Only true people are citizens of heaven. Next, Jesus said that prophesying... Casting out demons, doing mighty works, they're all touted by false prophets today. In the context of this previous teaching, the existence of false prophets, in that context, people were awed by the the mighty works, as if they they could save themselves by doing them. Now, we need to be reminded that the devil does these same things. The devil's behind false prophets. The devil orders his demon jukes around all the time, and the devil can do mighty things. Is he a citizen of heaven? Well, of course not. Of course not. None of those things or anything else in all of creation can save you. Only a creator can save the created from their sin. And the created must be recreated, a new creation. Only a creator can do that. And Jesus was a part of the creation event. So remember the verse that I quoted last week from John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus does this saving. Mighty works can't do the job. Then Jesus says, unless God has a saving relationship with you, he will always see you as lawless. Unless God sees you with the blood of Jesus covering your sin, he's always going to see your sin. He can't get past it. He's too holy to ignore it. That's why we need the blood of Christ to cover our sin." I love the hymns that we sing about this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is no other blood that can cover up your sin. Goat blood won't do it. Sheep blood ain't going to cover it. Dove blood won't even get close. And you can be certain that your blood can't wash away your own sin. Because your blood stinks to high heaven. Unless Jesus covers you with his blood, you will always be seen as lawless and sinful. That's why people are going to miss heaven's citizenship exam. That's why they're going to blow it. They trust in their works and they never once trust in Jesus to save them. That's why Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is such a good warning for people. Well, I, I got to move on. Jesus wraps up his sermon with the following. Follow along as I read Matthew seven twenty four through 27. Everyone. Jesus said in that passage at the end of this most awesome sermon ever, he said it would be wise to do what he says. I can remember when I was a boy standing in line in the hallway to receive what seems like now a weekly spanking. You see, my dad drove a, a truck during the week. He was gone Monday through Friday, and we drove my mother insane. Not insane to where she didn't keep good notes, though. But when my dad got home, the sound of disciplinary measures called us to account. He pulled that belt. <laughs> and one of my sisters was so stubborn. We always wanted to be in front of the line in the hallway waiting our turn before her. Because when my dad would whip her and ask her if she was going to do that again, she would say yes. She was so hard-headed. She would never cry. She didn't even cry till she went back to her room. And he would say, you're going to do that again? She would say yes. We'd be in the hallway screaming through the door, just say no, just say no. My, other, my sisters and I, we, we would get so upset, not not for her, we'd get so upset at her because dad would get more steamed and then it would be our turn. So she could have saved us a lot of pain and suffering if she just agreed to do what he said. Now that was a humanly father. How much wiser would it be to do what our heavenly father says? Why do we think we can get away with all the stuff we try to pull? Why do we even think that just because we cannot see him standing in front of us, that we will go unpunished? That is just foolishness. Now, that brings me to Jesus' second point. Only an idiot would disobey God. And Jesus calls them foolish, but I'm not as polite as Jesus. I, I, I can remember a time when I was not dependent upon Jesus for my salvation. I was an idiot. I put faith in my ability to accomplish good works for him, to, to earn his acceptance, and I worked for him. I did. I worked for him, but I didn't listen to him. I'm positive there were times in my service that, that I spoke out of turn, or I jumped in front of him, and there were even times when I took his glory, and you know what happens when we do that. Would God say, I am the Lord. I will share my glory with no other. And I was taught that obedience brings blessing, and disobedience brings conflict. And Chuck Swindoll wrote about this in his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity. He wrote this following passage. Imagine, if you will, that you work for a company whose president, the president who founded it, found it necessary to travel out of the country and spend an extended period of time abroad. So he says to you and the other trusted employees, look, I'm going to leave, and while I'm gone, I want you to pay close attention to the business. You manage things while I'm away. I will write you regularly, and when I do, I will instruct you on what you should do from now on until I return from this trip. And everyone agrees. He leaves and stays gone for a couple years. During that time, he writes often, communicating his desires and concerns. And finally, he returns, and he walks up to the front door of the company and immediately discovers everything is a mess. There's weeds flourishing in the flower beds. The windows are broken across the front of the building. The the gal at the front desk is, is dozing, loud music roaring from several offices, two or three people engaged in horseplay in the back room. Instead of making a profit, the business had suffered a loss. Without hesitation, he calls everyone together, and with a frown, he asks them, What happened? Didn't you get my letters? And they say, Oh, yeah, sure. We got all your letters. We've even bound them in a book. And some of us have memorized them. In fact, we have letter study every Sunday. You know, those were really great letters. I think the, the owner would ask them, well, what did you do about my instructions? The employees would respond, do. Well, we didn't do anything, but we read every one of them. What do you think such a, a business owner should do to those people? Well, he would fire every one of them. Only Indian employees would have done that. They should have known the owner would return after all he said he was going to return. And so they were wrong. Jesus alluded to the fact that the flood of judgment is coming. There will be a time when we stand before the throne to be judged. I've told you this many times. People who are not saved by Christ and not covered by his blood, they're going to stand before the great white throne judgment seat. And God will see every act of every person that's ever lived, and he will punish people for their own sins. The time of mercy will have passed, and the time of judgment will be in hand. He will throw people into the lake of fire for eternal punishment, and there will be no excuses. Likewise, Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Sin will not be dealt with. The sin debt was already satisfied on the cross of Christ. But every Christian will have to give an account of what he or she did in their freedom from sin. Every good work will be examined, and those done with no glory given to God, they're they're going to burn up. There will be no reward offered for such works. There will be a sense of loss for us. The flood of judgments coming. Will you now repent and will you have anything to pass the fire test and to be rewarded for? Jesus said in that moment, many a personal kingdom will fall. A lot of kingdoms are going to fall in that moment. Billions of people will stand before God and everything they stood for and fought for and held on to will be destroyed. All of it in an instant. Countless Christians will stand before Christ. And they will lose rewards for their precious religious works that they did in vain. Many a kingdom's going to fall. Well, you've heard the sermon, the sermon on the Mount. How will you respond to the truth? Follow along as I read to the end of the chapter to see how the people that heard this firsthand, how they responded to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, 28 through 8 and 1. When Jesus finished these sayings, crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. How did they respond? Well, they were impressed. What a great sermon, they thought. I'm sure they had to. He he taught with authority. They were impressed. They were impressed enough to follow him. Yeah, they followed him. Some, some just to see what he would do next. Some to be associated with with such a great teacher. Some because they had no other plans. Some because their friends did. But only some because they believed what he said and obeyed. For weeks now, you've been listening to this Sermon on the Mount. You've been told what's required of you for salvation. And today you've been told of of the future certainty of judgment. What are you going to do? Are you going to just wait and see what happens next? Are you just going to be content with being part of a a good church, a good Bible study? Or, Or will you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Will you trust in him for salvation? Will you be wise? Will you be an obedient follower of Christ? Or will you choose to remain an idiot who dares buck the authority of God another day? He told us the truth. What are you going to do? I ask that you would invite Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior. Place your trust in him. Place your trust in him. If you'd like to start an online conversation, you want to know how to do that, just email me, mike at fbcclover.com, and we can start that conversation. But don't put that off. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your teaching. Thank you for giving it to us plainly and clearly with lots of warning. God, asked that you'd help us be bold enough to be obedient. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We well, hope you have a great week. Again, I apologize for the cold, but this teaching was too good to wait. So have a great week. Be blessed. And remember, if you're walking with God, he is very much pro-you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.